Hey everyone, there's a skill that you have probably been overlooking that can change your life, it can change your relationships, and it can change your career. According to my guest, Andrew Warner, who is my special guest on the show today. Andrew's an entrepreneur who has been hosting one of the best startup podcasts ever called Mixergy for several years, where he uncovers the secrets of the world's best founders top entrepreneurs. And get this, he's interviewed over 2,100 people on his podcast. His goal is to uncover the real factors behind success. And he's also learned something even more valuable, and that's how to learn anything from anyone through high-impact interviewing. My name is Joe Soto, and I interview thought-sparking entrepreneurs like Andrew and authors who can help you get to your next level. I'm excited that you're here. This is the Not Your Average Joe Show. And we'll be right back with Andrew Warner. This is the Not Your Average Joe Show, where each week we bring you sales, marketing, and mindset strategies you need to get to your next level. And now, here's your host, international business mentor, Joe Soto. Well, when Andrew Warner isn't out running, you know, on every continent, is this true that you've actually ran, including Antarctica? You've, you've ran a marathon and completed a marathon on every single continent? Antarctica was the best. Yes, I did. Antarctica was just so different from anywhere else you could ever be on planet Earth. It was amazing. <laughs> well, I've been following your journey for a long time. I'm thrilled you're here. I want to jump right in it if it's okay with you. Yeah. Okay. You've got a new book coming out. We're going to tell people about it. And the title of it, I've given it away as a topic of the show. Stop asking questions, which hooked me right away. And I saw the title. And I'm like, of course, Andrew wrote this. It's got that element of contrarian <laughs> in the title, which yeah. I love, which I love. But you say that uh, great interviews is more than just asking questions. I'm learning this craft. I'm trying to follow your lead. I'm way behind. I'm like on episode 40. And but you say to do it right. That you yeah. need to be part therapist, part researcher, and part storyteller. Please explain and help us understand what you mean by this. I'll tell you about the stop asking questions. It's something that I discovered apart from interviews. I love to, to get to know people. I love to learn from them. And so when Olivia, my wife, invited me to go see her friend's family, I said, sure, I'll come along with you. And so uh, Olivia... And I drove up this huge mountain in uh, in in what is Southern California, and dude, in LA, in that whole area, people have gorgeous houses. Yeah. And so I was used to gorgeous houses, but as we're driving up, this place was stunning, beautiful, giant pool, huge house on uh, on the top of a mountain. You're seeing out into the ocean. And so while she was talking to her friend, I was out with her friend's husband by the pool talking, and I just had to basically ask him, "How'd you get so rich?" I didn't obviously ask him exactly like that, but I asked it like that. And I could see that he was proud to talk about what he accomplished. I could see that he was happy to tell me about how he got into apps before the iPhone ever had apps on it, how he understood that BlackBerry apps were valuable and how he built up his business doing that. And then he shifted over to iPhone apps and all that. And as we're talking, he got lit up, but I kept asking him questions to see how he did it and what he learned from it. And I kept asking him questions. And as we talked, I realized there's something in his eyes. He was shifting from being like my buddy, being a good friend to seeing me as, I don't know, like a needy intern of some kind. 
<laughs> and when he was finished with his first drink, he asked me to go and get him another one. He said, go get me another beer. And I thought, mm, <laughs> definitely are no longer friends. Now I'm just like a guy aspiring to be his protege. And it, it changed the whole conversation. I realized it's be because of something. And as I started to investigate it and think about mm. what is it that I do sometimes that, that even though people love talking to me and explore new parts of themselves, turns them off. I realized one of them is asking a lot of questions. And the same is for interviews. If you ask people a lot of questions, you go from being a friend, from being a guide to being somebody who's a little too needy and people will treat you that way. And what I've done in my interviews is experimented a lot. And when I experimented with rephrasing questions as statements, I found that people trusted me more and they saw me as a guide in the conversation, a leader, and not somebody who was coming to them going, tell me how you did this. Save me from my life. I need to learn and be better. And so it's easy. Instead of saying something like, where'd you come up with your idea for your business? I would ask, tell me where the idea for your business came from. Instead of how did you get started? Tell me how you got started. And so that little adjustment goes a long way. And if you sprinkle some into conversation statements that are designed to guide the, the person you're talking with, you'll come across more as a guide, a trusted person, and less as somebody who's just going to fling questions at them the way a three-year-old might. Do, do you need to throw in any niceties? Like, please, would you mind? I think please in mind is helpful. Here's where it's especially helpful. I got this from Charlie Rose. I said, how is this guy interrupting people? What is the thing that he's doing? And so I took a bunch of his uh, transcripts. And this is a guy who's done thousands of interviews with heads of state, with, um, with actors who are usually so reticent. And he's just getting them to talk and interrupting them. I go, how does he do it? So I threw his, uh, his audio clips, his whole shows into this uh, service that will transcribe it. And I paid to have it transcribed. And I noticed that what it'll do is say things like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, and then he'll go. So just like the, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it lets people feel like you're interrupting, but not because you're, you're rude. It's, there's a nicety there. And then I add another thing to it. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I would feel terrible if I didn't ask you about how you did this thing. I'm sorry to interrupt, but my audience is going to kill me if they don't hear me ask you about how you sold your company yeah. about, right? So it's, I'm sorry to interrupt, short thing. And it feels nice in a time when people feel like you're being a little brutish otherwise. And then tell them the higher purpose, why you're interrupting and you can do it. And it's amazing. At first I would do it and I would like, pinch my thigh because I can't believe I'm doing it. Andrew, I can't believe you're interrupting and calling it out. And then I realized, oh, people feel so comfortable with that. They want you to interrupt when you do it that way. And so, yes, niceties have their place for sure. And that's one of them. You've got a great story in the book. Also, uh, I think it's, I think it was early in the book about uh, Jason. Is it free? The founder of Basecamp. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I have a, uh, I have a connection with Basecamp because that was the very first software I used in my agency when I started it in 2010. The very first purchase I made and uh, I used it for years. So I'm forever grateful for his original uh, introduction of Basecamp to the world. Yeah, he nailed that project but, management software. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, and, and obviously I turned into 37 signals and some other things. But he's in the section where you talk about uh, getting people to open up. Mm -hmm. I believe it is. And people struggle sometimes when they're talking to people to get them to open up. So which, give us your advice, please, on how to get people to open up who might be holding back or as you call it, guarded. My challenge with Jason was that 
he is someone who, if I ask him what your, what your revenue is, he goes, we don't talk about revenue. We talk about profits and I won't give you the exact number, but it's in the tens of millions of dollars. And you think that is so impressive, but it also feels like maybe he got into SaaS early. Maybe he got into agencies early. Everything just seems to work for him. I can't relate to somebody who everything just works out. It feels too easy. And so I said to him, did you have any challenges? Did you have any things that didn't work out for you? And he said, no. I said, Jason, any problems? Come on, we all have problems. And he said, no. I said, can you think of something that maybe we had to overcome? And he said, I don't think it's helpful to look back that way about things that don't work. And the more I pushed, the more he resisted, the more I asked, the more he was reluctant and it just became difficult. And then I, I, I like to learn from people who do things well. And there was this TV show inside the actor studio where the host got people to cry, got celebrities to go off script and actually cry on television. That's not heard of men to cry, right? Where they could be expected to be made fun of. I said, I got to know how to do it. There's a producer for inside the actor studio who worked with the guests and worked with the, uh, with, worked with the show. And so I hired him, James, Jeremy uh, Carrigan. And I said, what do I do? And he said, oh yeah, yeah. I said, you know this? He goes, yeah, yeah. He says, my therapist had the same issue. She would see men who would come in with their wives. The therapist would say, tell me about the problems you're having in the relationship. Tell me about the problems you're having in your life. And the men, inevitably it was the men, would always say, I have no problems. Things are easy. Things are good. <laughs> and the therapist used to argue. And the people who paid her to talk through their issues would <clears throat> argue back. I have no problems. Finally, Jeremy said his therapy decided to stop arguing with them and instead join the resistance. Instead of arguing with the resistance, she joined and she say, it's so good to have somebody here in my office who doesn't have problems. As you could imagine, everyone comes into my office with problems and you've got a perfect life and I'm glad to have that break. And as soon as she said that, the person would jump in and go, perfect life. Do you know how difficult it is? I'm working nine to nine. My wife is upset because I'm working all the time, but I need to do it in order to support, right? And now we're often talking about problems. And so I tested it. I said, okay, maybe my interviews, I should join the resistance. If I ask somebody a question and they say they don't have a problem, yeah. I go, that's great. Everyone else seems to have so many problems that they've overcome. It's great to talk to somebody who's got it easy. And when I did it with Jason and I've got a recording of the video, I had him back on, I did it with him. And he said to me, you know, we did have problems. And he started listing it. He talked to me about one of those problems, a software called Campfire. Campfire was this chat app before people understood that businesses need chat apps when they were all on email. He created True. it, right? You know Campfire? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it was before its time. It was 100% yeah. before its time. He, yeah. The fact that he even understood that businesses need chat and chat yeah. is not for like teenage oh, yeah. girls talking to each other, which was yeah. the stereotype. And anyway. it was a great product name. Right, right. <laughs> it was a great product name too. <clears throat> so good. And when I talked to him about it, he admitted that that thing didn't work out. And that, it, that I don't know that he would use the word failure, but let's say he sunsetted it for sure. Yeah. And it was helpful to hear him talk about it because- he talked about it from point of view of somebody who taken a risk. It didn't work, but he didn't invest everything he had in it. And we in business are often told that the only way to succeed is to be like that guy. What was his name? Cortez, who landed uh, on enemy territory and decided he would burn the ships behind him so that his soldiers had just one way to go back home. They had to win. It's either die or or win. And so they were going to win. And so a lot of times in business, we say, I'm going to bet everything on this one thing. And that's the only way to do it. Jared, Jason, help me see a different approach that. You could just take these small shots. And if campfire doesn't work out, fine. It doesn't destroy your whole business because you didn't invest everything. You didn't tell everyone in your company, this is going to be the future. We have to do it. And 
there's also an upside in doing that because Campfire didn't work, but everyone who uses Basecamp today sees Campfire's influence in the software because there's a chat app in there that allows you to communicate yeah. with other people on your team without having to resort to adding Slack and Discord and all these other tools. So it was very helpful. But to, for me, the biggest takeaway is if I want to get to that learning, if I want to get to that connection with somebody, I can't fight them when they resist. I have to join their resistance and say, must be great to have everything work out perfectly. <laughs> well, this this is also giving us that insight into what you mean by leading people uh, to, to a deeper connection and to a deeper conversation. And you're doing it in this case by joining the resistance, which I love. Great insight. There's also something else in listening to some of your interviews, listening to a lot of your interviews over the years, actually, but um, recently listening to your interviews because I'm in learn mega learn mode right now. Like You're welcome to, at, you know, between now and the end of this show, say, Joe, I got three tips for you. It's going to help you with your podcast. I'm very, I'm open to being vulnerable like that for the sake of my audience listening and learning and me selfishly, but you, you do something that I don't know that you're aware of uh, is well, you are, but maybe not understanding that it's actually part of your magic. You you're fast. So <laughs> when I, I heard you ask that tough question, because you also yeah. have a section in the book about asking tough questions. And, and that's separate from for everybody's sake here from how to get people to open up. So you already know there's gold in this book to be mined. But in Andrew's case, he goes really fast. So when you ask the revenue question, you tend to ask it almost as if they've already answered it. And it's like a matter of fact. And it's like, let's just answer it. And OK, so what are you doing nowadays with revenue? And you'll ask and you ask it conversationally and politely. But I think the speed of it is almost a pattern interrupt where they're not used to being asked it. And it's almost you went so fast, their brain goes into answering it. <laughs> and sometimes I can hear their hesitation in answering it. But it's like too late. They were already speaking <laughs> out because you persuasively, you persuasively use like your nonverbal speed to get them to spit it out. If you go back and listen, you'll hear yourself doing it. It's really, you know what? I had a situation with the owner. Maybe of, it's intentional. Sorry. It's to just the way that I am. I, sorry to interrupt. I had, a, <laughs> I had um, the founder of Saks Underwear on. This is a guy created underwear when he was in college and he's, and he did really well with it. He said, Andrew, I know you always ask people about what they sold their companies for. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to say it. I said, fine. I said, I'm not going to say it. I said, great. I'll ask you, feel free. Here's how you can tell me no. And I teach them how to say no. It's totally fine. But we did go through the interview so fast that he found himself doing the math for people about how much he was earning and then what the multiple was and walking them through the whole thing without giving the actual number. And at the end of the interview, he goes, I don't know what happened. I just got carried away. That was just so, but that's partially, that's partially a good dynamic conversation. It's partially people knowing that I'm coming from a good place. There's no aspect of me that's trying to get somebody to reveal their number right. so that the world traps them. And then their IRS comes over and says, aha, it's not that it's, I'm trying to understand how big the business is. So we know what if what are we what are we building? It's like if yeah. you ever see somebody make a birdhouse on YouTube, they don't just say let's make a birdhouse and then they build each piece. Let's say let's make a birdhouse and they show you the birdhouse before they start to build it, or they tell you a type of birdhouse or how big it's going to be, and then you go and build it. I want to know how big a birdhouse are we building here? Is this a billion dollar business? Is this a million dollar business or a thousand dollars starter? And that helps. And so that goes back to something else that I do a lot, and I don't know that people are aware of, but I am. I tell them the mission. I say, why I'm asking because I'm trying to learn because, and you get a sense, even if you watch me do it rapid fire, I will say, 
how big's the business? We're trying to get a sense of how how much you've built. What's your revenue? We're trying to get a sense of how big the build business is. If yeah. you tell people what you want and then you tell them why, they're yeah. so much more likely to give it to you. And I'll give you another example. My kids just started school. We'll take it away from business for a minute. I want to know what's going on in my kid's school. It's freaking kids. They will not tell you what's going on. It's just, yeah. it was okay. I don't remember. You've seen the same thing, right, Joe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, seven kids under the age of 17. You ask them, how was <laughs> how, how school? Fine. What happened at school? We're in a new city. Tell me what yeah. happened at your school. It was okay. So I realized if you, you have could to just ask specific with them, I have I, to say, who were you sitting yeah. next to at lunch? <laughs> That's did good. Anyone, right. Did anyone bother you uh, in class today? You know, because if you give them isolated specific experiences you're trying to extract, they'll tend to give it to you. That's really helpful also, right? If instead of going broad where they don't know what to hook onto to tell them a specific thing that they could answer that's a fact and then we get to emotion, that helps. One of the things that I do is I tell them why. I say, yeah. I want to know what's not working. So when the teacher talks to me about how things are going, I'm not going to say great, but I can tell her, here's what's not working for my kid. I want to know what is working so that I can tell the teacher, my kid really likes to go out on hikes. And maybe if they decide that they're going to get rid of hikes, they could find a way for you to keep the hikes going. And by doing that, now I'm getting a list of things because they want to know what they should get rid of and they want to know what I can help them keep. And so if you tell people the higher purpose, why you're asking for the revenue, why you're doing what you're doing, you're going to get a better answer and you're going to get them onboarded. Yeah. You're one of the few people who took um, a micro lesson in the book Influence by Cialdini, and you were able, when he tells the story of just how powerful and influential mm -hmm. the word because is, and you talk about because, of course, in the book, using that as a context, giving people real uh, tactical applications of that persuasive uh, communication in your book. It's awesome. Uh, you also, and you've already done it here, you give a lot of different what you call conversation techniques in the book. Would you mind sharing your favorite one or two that you like to share with people? One of the favorite ones that I have is <laughs> this one is this one is kind of crazy and it feels manipulative, but I think it's important to talk about because I, I said when I worked with my editor, I want to give people quick techniques that work so that they could trust me enough by seeing this impact their lives tomorrow. And then if I give them enough of those by tomorrow, they'll use one of them and they'll get results. And then we can go to later on in the book and go through deeper um, techniques that take longer to master for having great conversations. One of my favorite ones is the dramatic lowball. I had a guest on, we talked about revenue and she wouldn't give me her revenue. And so I said, are you at a million dollars? And she goes, are you kidding me? We're 20, 30 times that. <laughs> no, I had my number. <laughs> and you could see it yeah. in the transcript, that jumping in. Yeah. And so... If you give people not a low ball, like if I would have said, are you a 20 million? She would have said, I don't, I don't know that I want to talk about it. But if I say, did you hit your first million? It's big. And so if you could give people something that's so dramatic, it almost insults all their accomplishment. They have to fight back and they do it before they even think about it. That's a big one. And so I've done that um, in interviews a lot. I've also done it again with family. If I ask my kids, um, so did you get to do any drawing today? They may not say anything, but if I say you didn't do any drawing at all this week, they might fight against it. Are you kidding me? I did one thing. It's beautiful. I'll bring it back home. Dramatic low balls are good. When I talked about that at Scotch Night at my office, um, I was doing Scotch <laughs> Night before COVID shut us down. You did Scotch um, Night at my event. I did. It was yeah. it was huge. One of the biggest Scotch Nights. We took over the lobby of the party of the of the hotel. I mean, yeah, it was great. That was awesome. 
That so was I love Scotch Night because it's such a good place for people to talk openly. I remember actually there are a couple of people who said, I really want to get to know Joe. I said, well, Joe's right there. Well, yeah, I want to get to know him. Let's just walk over. And I remember we brought him over and Joe's much more approachable than people think when they see you just on, on video. And they're just intimidating because I'm so tall. I walked into the lobby and people were surprised that I came over there. But you were, uh, for the people that are listening and to give context, I had an event, a uh, fairly exclusive event, about 100 people. And Andrew's coming to be a guest speaker. And he says, can I come in a night early and do a scotch night where we can just network and get to know people? And people love that. And they loved you. It actually set my event up better than I could have set it up <laughs> with people coming in already happy, warm, knowing each other and feeling that they connected to people like you. And of course, myself, who was, who was leading it. I'm so appreciative of that. And uh, thank you so much for being there for that. OK, so I keep rolling for the interest of time here. You, you, uh, you kind of shared how you tear apart or model is maybe the better word. Mm -hmm. Successful interviewers. But you also yeah. have something called deconstructing uh, interviews of your own so you can make them better. Explain to us what you mean by deconstructing interviews. What I do is I have every, I'm one of the few people on Earth who, who could have his conversations transcribed. And I think more and more of us are going to be able to. And I think we should. But I have all of my interviews transcribed. I could then go back afterwards and say with my team, let's go over and see this one question. It didn't work. Why not? What did I say that was off-putting? How did I do it? And I could go in and think, all right, maybe the way that I did it was I didn't ask politely. Maybe I took too long. Maybe I gave them too many options. And I could go back in the next week when I have three more interviews to do. And I've had three interviews a week minimum for the last over 14 years. I could go back in the next week and say, let's try a different approach. And if I try a different approach and it works, I add it to this Google Doc and then I name it so that I remember it. So dramatic low balls, not that fancy a name, but it helps me remember I it. I love that name. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, join the resistance. I love the name, join the resistance. That was Jeremy uh, Carrigan's therapist who came up with that. <laughs> Put that on a doc with a name. It works. If it doesn't work, I want to come back and try something else until I figure it out and it works. What I've seen is there are now... Um, there are now people who run agencies. There are now people who do coaching, who realize that they could also record their conversations because a lot of them are happening on Zoom. And then they get it transcribed and they do the same thing. It doesn't have to be like in depth. I have to read every word of this. You just have to say, you know, there was one period that felt a little awkward. Let me scan over to that period and read what I said. And you'll be shocked that what you said yeah. actually was different and worse than you imagined. And sometimes you go back in and you say, this was really warm. I think that person just happened to have come up with a great answer. If you look at what you said before, you realize, oh, yeah, I did something here. I have to be aware of it. And if you're not aware of it, you're going to totally miss this thing that you did that was great, that's repeatable, and you should learn from it and write it down or at least be aware of it. And by the way, for anyone who is a coach, for anyone who is uh, running an agency, who wants to know, how can I record these things? <clears throat> what I found is most people you work with will be okay recording if you tell them why you're recording it. And you don't have to say your personal why. You could tell them why it's great for them. And what I say is I've got clients who've told me in the past that they could, that they wished that what I said or that what we talked about was recorded so they can go back and review it. So I'm going to hit record. If you want me to stop at any time, I'll hit stop. But as soon as the session is over, I will send you a link to this recording so that you could study it so that you can get the pieces that you want. Now, by recording it for them, you also have a recording for yourself that you could use and study what you've done. Obviously, if there's anything that's private and personal, don't record it. But most things are not that private or personal. Most things actually are helpful to have a record of. That's why we keep our email for so long. So we know what we said and what happens. Is it healthy to have over 400,000 emails in my 
in my unopened. <laughs> un- 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 oh my god! <laughs> they're filtered, but they're uh, a lot of pain. It's a lot of pain. I need to learn the zero inbox. Uh, okay, so brilliant insight. I was purposely not interrupting. Uh, for people that are listening, I want to I want to give them a heads up now that they can go to stopaskingquestions.co, right? Yep. .co. If you go to .com, it's just going to be nothing. So go to right. stopaskingquestions.co. It is not a spelling error if you're watching this live. And pick get it, you get early access if you just simply uh, subscribe, give the email to Andrew, and then you'll get early access to the book. And yep. also, he's got some other really some cool treats he does along the way. Like you did a reading group. Uh, I think a week ago, uh, which I so badly wish I had heard about soon enough to have I signed up for it. I could not maneuver my schedule to be there, but I'll be on the next one. So go to stopaskingquestions.co. Okay, real quick, uh, just keep going. I I love um, the 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 depth of and the broad range of different type diverse guests you have. You have so many different types of uh, entrepreneurs that you interview, and some of them are pretty high profile. People like. Barbara Car- uh, Car- Corcoran okay. and Gary V and the founders of Airbnb and all this. So what's share with us the secret behind getting higher profile guests, because I have been, and also I want to give you a two part question. So let you let you roll. And is it necessary that we interview people if we were going to start a podcast? Cause some people are thinking now I've been pushing it, get your own show, go live, interview people, get your own podcast make it part of your overall marketing strategy. I did a lot of people in my world, in my universe, and on this, on this, who are listening right now, who should take those steps. What do you tell someone who thinks I may ha- I have to interview? And also what do you tell people who say, I, do I need to have high profile guests and how do I get them? I'll tell you how to get high profile guests. And then I'll tell you why you don't need them. You talked about Robert Cialdini earlier. I remember studying when I was in college. I loved Robert Cialdini, the, the author of the book Influence, because he had these great techniques for actually influencing people. Now, if you notice, Robert Cialdini is not doing a bunch of podcasts. He's not tweeting. He's not Facebooking. So how did I get him as a guest? Well, he had a book that was coming out. And when he had a book, he had a reason to go out and promote. And so what I say to people who want to get high profile guests is look for those motivated moments, those moments when even someone like, and you see this on television all the time, right? Robert De Niro. So I don't know. I don't want to be interviewed and talked, right? He's very shy. But whenever he has a movie out, you'll see him on television laughing it up with somebody or being awkward while someone else is laughing around him. That's a motivated moment. He's got a movie. He needs to promote it. He's out doing interviews. Robert Cialdini's got a book coming out. He needs to promote it. He's willing to say yes to interviews. Tim Ferriss had a, had a TV show out. I asked oh, him if yeah. he can do a live event with me in San Francisco. He said, I'll, I'll come right over. He came over and he did a live event. Super supportive, incredible brand name. People were proud to have flown in from everywhere to see him live at my event because he had a motivated moment. He was more willing to say yes. So look for motivated moments. And every industry has a list of them. So if you're in the tech space, you want people who just got funded, they're about to launch their businesses. Those are motivated moments. You can get them to say yes. They maybe are about to graduate or did graduate Y Combinator. They're about to say yes. They're good. If you're in the in the book space, authors are always in motivated moments. And the way to see that is you go to Amazon, see a list of upcoming books, and you look for people whose books are about to come out. If you're in the movies, you know, it come, IMDb shows this stuff. So there are places to do it. Here's why you don't have to have them. If I look over the years, who the top guests, the top drawers of audience are for my interviews, it's not the big name guests. It's the small guys whose businesses happen to do well, who have a story that resonated with people. It's, it's people who 
my audience feels more connection to and feels like they're more more similar to. And here's how you find those. Um, you go to Reddit groups that talk to your audience. You see whose posts are getting a lot of action and you ask mm. to interview person you go into your own forum and you see which groups are people am i part of and who's hot today in that forum and you ask to interview them you talked about how i interviewed joe the founders of airbnb airbnb was not the mega success that it is today when i interviewed the founders but they were big and talked about on a forum called hacker news and so i asked them if they would do an interview you look for those people those especially if they're big in a small community those community members will talk it up. Those community members will make sure that everyone pays attention to them. And so that's what I think you should do. Look for motivated moments for superstars and understand that you don't have to have superstars, but you're better off getting people who your audience has already upvoted on all these other platforms. Brilliant. See, you just rolled with that. There you go. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Okay. This is a little off topic like that. Of, of the book and also something in kind of modeling what you do that you do so well. Everybody will agree with me now that they've kind of heard you share on this show if they haven't seen you before, but you always have this up-leveled energy. <laughs> and you have to have, if you're going to go complete marathons on every single continent, and if you missed it, he's even ran a marathon in, uh, on Antarctica. Um, so I took a couple notes here and I wrote that you also, um, when you interview, you evoke this state from your guests, I find. And if they start to show off slow, you definitely kind of bring their energy level up. And I'm sure there's some intention around doing that. But what do you say to someone that is struggling with managing their energy levels and sustaining it for, for you know, a networking event or a show or a podcast or, you know, an event where they kind of feel like they have to be on, which because I've seen you in person have this up energy and carry it and sustain it. Yep. And I've now, and I've listened to so many interviews of you keeping it, but also getting your guests to, to, to participate at that level with you is, is a real skill set. And so what's share the secret behind that, your energy levels. When you're good I, at something, first, it's exciting. You can show your shirt. First of all, just run, just run. I am a runner. <laughs> okay. But keep I going. think, um, when you're good at something, it's exciting. I used to struggle to have conversations with people. I hated it. I remember my parents would take me to all these different parties. I would know how to talk to people and I would just sit there like a grouch because I wasn't happy. I wasn't good at it. When I got good at it, when I decided I would focus on learning how to have conversations with people and, and largely it was because I wanted to date. I didn't know how to have conversations with women that I wanted to date. And so I, I had to, I said, I'm going to force myself. I'm going to talk to as many people as I can. And when I did that, it, it when, when I learned it, when I practiced it, when I got intentional about it, I got good at it. And that's when it got more exciting. And I think about it. We talked about my kids. My kids were not very excited to go swimming. They were not into swimming and spending an hour in the pool. It's like so boring. Why would you do it? And then my, my, my older kid got really good at swimming on his own. He figured out how he can swim and he realized that if he could swim better, they'll let him swim in the deep end. And if he could pass a test, then they'll let him jump off the diving board with the adults. And suddenly he was the one who's nagging us to go swimming. He was the one who was in the pool, jumping up and down and getting his younger brother excited about why he should swim. And so when you get good at something, it's really exciting. And the question is then how do you get good at something? And for me, it's, can I study the people who are good at it already? 
Can I be intentional about what's working for me and write it down somewhere so I repeat it and get the same results again instead of struggling all the time? If I see something that's not working, instead of bumming out about it, can I write it down and see what can I do next time to get better and then write down the better solution? That's the approach that I've taken. And if you look at my interviews, you see me get more and more hopped up as I get better and better at doing the interviews. And that helps a lot. But to get better and better, you've demonstrated now on a couple of these shares on this show which is you're documenting everything along the way from things that you're learning, things that you're deconstructing, things that you're wanting to remember yep. for later. You, this, you have this habit, it sounds, everybody can hear his habit of documenting things along the way to support his growth or to help him grow in the direction he wants to go. This has been awesome. Thanks, Andrew, Joe. We're, we're up against the end of time here. I know we took a couple minutes over, so forgive me for that. But I just know how important what you're sharing, what you're bringing out into the world, what comes out October what? It's let's say mid October. Is it mid October? Um, people can I saw get it. the new book design. It's amazing. I've been it, very excited about it. Yeah, I loved it. I love the the minimalistic design of it. I loved your reasoning behind it. Go to stop uh, or go to stopaskingquestions.co right now because you can subscribe, sign up, and get early access from Andrew Warner. Make sure you get this hand in uh, your, this book in your hands and in the hands of people that you care the most about. Because this is unique. I look, you know, when I first saw the table of contents and then I got a sneak peek at the book, there's, I have a lot of books. I'm surrounded by books. You don't see where I'm at right now, but I'm surrounded by all my library. And it's rare that I see something come across where the whole book is like a fresh set of material. I'm like, this is really nice. And it's about time you wrote this. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, 2,100 interviews, uh, extracting <laughs> success, but now teaching people how they can do that, how they can lead people how they can lead to uh, better, better, better conversations, leading people to uh, getting, you know, the, 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 the extracting the success from other people is how you model. I mean, you follow people that have done this and you uh, you've done it better than anybody else. So you say every ambitious person should add interviewing to their learning stack. I love that languaging, by the way, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're an entrepreneur, journalist, or just a lifelong learner, Stop asking questions. We'll show you the way. I want everybody to go to visit or go to stopaskingquestions.co. And if you found this to be an insightful episode and you've learned something new from Andrew, which I'm sure you have, please share this out and let's spread the word so we can all encourage everyone to not be average as well. All Andrew, right. you're not average. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for being my guest today. Will you come back? Anytime. And, right, uh, and you know what? And I'd love to even see more. I've, I've gotten to know Jamie Green because of your event. I'm now yeah. getting to know Ron and Justin. I, I love your whole community. And absolutely, I'd be glad to come back, maybe in person again for Scotch. Oh, I'd like that. The world's opening up again. So hopefully 2022, we'll bring yeah. Andrew back. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everyone. We'll Thanks. see you next time. Tune in next week for the Not Your Average Joe Show with international business mentor Joe Soto. 